Radio. Welcome. Welcome, welcome. There's a lot of news um, to go over. It's been a little bit since we did an episode. Um, and let's just jump right in there, Robbie. Um, <laughs> every day in the Trump administration, it's something outrageous. How hilarious is it? We'll start with this that Trump added Venezuela and North Korea to the travel ban to make it constitutional. <laughs> he just adds on all these other countries. So it's not a Muslim ban anymore. Um, you know, he's not deliberately targeting Muslims, therefore he thinks that this is fine. Now there's no time limit on it either. So, um, it's going to continue to target travelers from Somalia, Yemen, Syria, Libya, Iran, but also adding North Korea, Chad, Venezuela, oh, Chad was removed, Venezuela to the list of targeted countries. And, and the funny thing about Venezuela is like, it's just like select government officials. So it's just like a complete fake um, addition just to make it so so it's not discriminatory. Isn't that hilarious? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's just sad that he's putting like nations that he's uh, throwing war rhetoric out there for on the list now. Um, yep. And I mean, is this like what's I mean, do you, do you think it was just done to try to make it seem like it was constitutional and wasn't against Muslims or do you think it has like an additional purpose? Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. I think it was, he tried it two or three times, these iterations of the Muslim ban. He even, you know, he said himself that it was a Muslim ban. Um, he said that they needed to f ban Muslims until they figure out what the hell is going on. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, the constitutional basis was completely flawed on that premise, that it was like a completely obvious discriminatory ban on a religion. Um so, of course, yeah. I mean, this is just a hilarious attempt to just say, no, look, um, we're adding Venezuela and North Korea. It's not just a Muslim ban anymore, but you're right. It's just now we're just going to pile on entire countries. But don't you think he's also like he's also planting seeds and sort of ramping up the war rhetoric in general? Of like, course. No, I mean, this is. Too? Yeah, no, of course. So he's basically saying that these countries harbor terrorists. Yeah. Like that. That's insane. So, yeah, I mean, he's, so to try to make the Muslim ban go through, he's now saying Venezuela and North Korea are, are terrorist harboring na nations, which is very dangerous. Yeah, it's dangerous, and it's also very reminiscent of the George W. Bush era. I mean, this, mm -hmm. as much as David Frum, David Cipro Frum, pretends to hate Trump and think he's the Antichrist, this is straight out of David Frum's playbook. I mean, he put, like, they didn't even... Like, even back during the Bush administration after 9-11, they didn't think North Korea was going to launch a terrorist attack. Um, they didn't even have a nuclear program yet at that time, but they still labeled them as part of the axis of evil, along with Iran and I forgot what other country was. Was it Libya? Oh, the original axis of evil? Yeah, what Iran, was the... Iraq, and North Korea. So it was Iraq, Iran, and North Korea. I'm going to look that up and just verify it. Yeah, I feel, I feel true, dumb not remembering the exact countries, but... Well, Anyways, so it just many. reminds me of, um, it totally reminds me of, of, of David Frum, like George W. Bush era bullshit. Yeah. It's a it very was Iran, symbolic. Iraq, and North Korea, yeah. Even just, you know, I'm sure that it was done to try to make it seem like the Muslim ban was constitutional, but I also think there had to have been some kind of like neocon 
influence or, you know, maybe even Trump himself, because there's a lot of signs right now. And we'll talk about those later that Trump himself is actually responsible for some of the most neocon rhetoric coming out of his administration. Even his lower downs, some of the people he appointed are not are actually contradicting some of the things he's saying. And it's also just provoking these countries more and more. Um, Absolutely. You know, on top of directly sanctioning Maduro. And this is, check this out. This is the proclamation announcing the executive order. This is amazing. Trump said that the ban was meant to target countries that were, quote, deficient with respect to their identity management and information sharing capabilities, protocols, and practices, and were thus not reliable counterterrorism partners. So it's like a slippery way to just say like, no, I'm not, I'm not actually accusing Venezuela and North Korea of harboring terrorists. They just aren't sharing information with us in order to properly counter terrorism. Therefore, <laughs> we're going to ban them. <laughs> we're going to ban the citizens of this country to travel to the U.S. <laughs> of course, it has to come down to terrorism, um, you know, as like a blanket catch-all excuse for everything. I mean, another totally fake excuse. Uh what does that even mean? Sharing information about terrorists? I mean, it's crazy. Yeah, it's such. Bullshit. It's just like a punishment. I mean, it's honestly a punishment because he was humiliated by Kim Jong Un, um, and and he was humi- he was also humiliated because he had like a bad nickname for him. He called him Rocket Man, which like fell flat. So now he's just like really mortified. Um, you know, everyone's mocking him, and so he just wants to punish the countries that aren't just bowing down to the empire. That's really what he's saying here. So it's just nuts. Um, not only that, but he's not that I am a proponent of Obamacare, but the shit that he's doing to like sabotage that is, is also insane because it just shows you that he does not give a flying fuck about actually providing health care or anything. Um, it's just about just destroying everything that Obama did, good or bad. Um, of, course he's, of course, he's not destroying the, the war um, expansion things that Obama did, you know, all the surveillance expansion and all that. Um, it's just the things that you could remotely construe as maybe good. Yeah, that just the things totally he's doing eviscerate. to de-escalate uh, situation with the countries, the Iran deal being a primary thing. It's And it's been reported and by anonymous people on the inside. You, you, can, you always have to take these stories with a grain of salt. But in this case, I think it's it's pretty much lined up with reality that there are people in his administration who say that he is absolutely obsessed with Obama, even more than Hillary, that he is every day asking, did Obama do that? Did Obama do this? And then if it's he did, he doesn't want to do it or he'll take the opposite approach. Yeah. Almost like a contrarian. Um, so that's very fascinating that he's that fixated because Obama also humiliated him, too. Um, and he probably hasn't forgotten that at the White House Correspondents' Dinner. Yeah. Um, I mean, we can't forget that he came to power based on the birther conspiracy theory, that Obama was a secret Muslim not born in the U.S. That is how Trump, really, that's a, a vast majority of his base. Really, it's the visceral Obama hatred that, that rose Trump to power. I mean, you yeah. can argue until you're blue in the face about, like, all the other, you know, like, pockets of his base but that i mean really that is what catapulted him and how fucking crazy is that so now he's just like he just knows that to fold in and double down on his base the most extremist racist members of his base he just needs to like as long as he's just doing the opposite of what obama did as long as he's destroying everything obama put in place then i guess he's doing a good job yeah yeah or if he just keeps deflecting to obama and hillary still like almost a year into his presidency (laughs) <laughs> which he continues to do. 
talking about the candidate who lost still, um, including tweeting out a picture of him hitting her with a golf ball from another like racist meme maker, like animated GIF maker online. Um, so he's got a, I mean, he's obviously obsessed, obsessive and very narcissistic and also very insecure. It's all telegraphed through his tweets. Why would you keep obsessing this much about uh, the per- person you that lost in the election? It's very strange. <laughs> and, and, and his narcissism is displayed, uh, like you said, through his Twitter feed. Um, I mean, case in point is this, this recent guy, Roy, Roy Moore versus Luther Strange. Did you hear about this weird race? Um, it was basically taking Jeff Sessions' seat. Because he I left the seat, no, obviously, become attorney it. general. I, I have not I mean, been it's, following it. I mean, it's just a really, it's really, it's just boring. It's like just two horrible people that were competing. One of them was deemed the anti-establishment candidate and like backed by Donald Trump, Steve Bannon, Sarah Palin. Like every single person was just like going above and beyond to try to campaign for this guy. And he lost. So it was a big embarrassment for these guys. The guy who won, Roy Moore, um... He basically said homosexuality should be illegal. He like hates gay people and says that it should be banned. Um, but but what the funny part is is that Trump deleted all of his tweets <laughs> supporting the the other guy because he like he at first he was just like he's he's ahead in the polls because of my endorsement. Like we're gonna go go big with this, and then he just like he was just like so mortified that the guy lost that he just deleted his tweets. Wait, so the guy who lost wasn't baby. the anti-gay guy? Um, the guy who lost, I mean, he was, he was very horrible alt-right guy, but apparently the guy who won, um, is the guy who said that gay people should be banned. (laughs) Interesting. Like homosexuality should be banned. Yeah. I first, I thought it was the other way around, but I was reading earlier and it says that. So um, even with the backing of the president of the United States, like who's got such a allegedly powerful populist base, he can't even get a guy elected. Yeah. That, yeah, I mean, but that, he deleted all of it. And, and I think, has he deleted any other tweets other than, like, misspellings so far as president? I don't president? even think that he deletes misspellings, has he? He did, I think, at least once. Then, for some reason, the media didn't pounce on him for it. It wasn't Kofifi, it was something else. But, Robbie, that was 8D chess. He's trying to get them... Don't you understand? This is what Paul Watson says, that he misspells things and grammatically does things that are bad, so then the media can obsess about it and show that they're super elitist, um, and then he can just do a bunch of other shit behind the scenes. Like, don't you get it? That That's a super smart strategy. That's fascinating that Paul Joseph <laughs> Watson is that fucking dumb. Holy shit. So, you know, talking about... Um, Infowars and Paul Joseph Watson, we already know that Trump listens to Infowars, watches Infowars. He called Alex Jones multiple times to thank him, to thank his base. Um, No one has really hammered in on the Infowars cultivation of these conspiracy theories and this normalization of like only the crazy right wing ones right into into like the zeitgeist of, of our society right now. And you see it you see it coming out more than ever before, obviously because Trump's president and he's giving like authority to these lines. Um, but, but it's so outrageous. I mean, the Las Vegas massacre, um, Stephen Paddock, this guy who doesn't really fit the profile of like, you know, the young disgruntled white mass shooter that we usually see. Um, he was older. He was spending, I don't know, I think hundreds of thousands of dollars in, in gambling, um, had a multitude of firearms, I think 47 guns. 
and he scoped out a previous spot um, in an Airbnb in like a high-rise condo the week before over it, another concert. It apparently, it was in Chicago over Lollapalooza. Wow. Which is, I mean, really fucking, that would have been insane. So just interjecting really quickly, that alone to me shows that it was not necessarily an ideological attack. Because on one right. where he actually ended up attacking, and this is just me speculating, but it to me it reveals that this was about just taking out a massive South target, not about, oh, these are country music fans or these are, you know, teenage drug user, like millennial, like PC SJWs, which would be like, you know, how someone might characterize a crowd at Lollapalooza. Um, so that's interesting in of itself that he, you know, was allegedly planning this other attack. Um, but yeah, sorry to interrupt. No, you. And, and no, exactly. Exactly. That that's total bullshit that people are like, Oh, there he was targeting because he was Antifa and a violent leftist. Oh, Robbie, you didn't know that they found Antifa literature in the in the room. That's that's all over these right wing blogs circulated by Infowars. People are just blindly believing it and repeating it. Um, extremely dangerous, right? Extremely dangerous to go off of literally nothing and propagate this ludicrous theory that the guy was Antifa. <laughs> like, are you kidding me? If um, and he had the system of cameras outside. And again, to your point, this was premeditated. Um, and it wasn't just about the target. It was about, again, taking out a, a massive amount of people. He had done a dry run. He had cameras outside of his room. This is what bothers me, too. And I want to get into the Antifa stuff and how ludicrous um, these theories are. But what also pisses me off is people like keep going to his brother. And even the sheriff has like changed his tune. And he's like, you couldn't have done this alone. I'm not saying that he that I don't I, I don't know whether or not he had help getting the guns or if anyone knew about this, but. His brother, I don't think, is the best witness or resource to like learn about what motive or or how he did this. His no, he hasn't spoken to him insane. in like ten years. He said, yeah, and he's clearly insane. He like he 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 was just like he never he didn't have a gun as far as I knew. It's like, well, why don't you talk to his friends who he did hang out with, who said that he had a gun room, and like yeah. was extremely emotionally abusive to his girlfriend, who everyone's calling now an ISIS affiliate just because she lived in the Philippines. Oh my god! There's some super dark threads going on. I did not. I didn't even see that stuff. Wow. I mean, yeah, the brother, the media, um, get, trying to get his, all this information from his brother, and his brother acting like he was never the type of person that would do this and all that stuff. I mean, it's ultimately it's meaningless because his brother and him hadn't seen each other in a really long time. I mean, that's that's the story that I heard is that he wasn't in contact with them for like ten years. They had like very casual contact, um, right? And. He was, he doesn't, everyone's like, oh yeah, he totally fits the profile because he's a white male, bro. It's like, no, that's not true because like you said, the profile of, uh, you know, the the killer, the typical killer profile is a young, um, more openly mentally ill that has like a history of mentally, mental illness, um, snapping and deciding to do something like this. Usually they're not very wealthy people. Um, you know, it, it's, it tends to be true that people who don't have a lot to live for, tend to be more, you know, to, to become these kinds of mass shooters. This guy seemed like he had a lot to live for, even as like a 60, is he 64 years old? Yeah, like 66 or something. Yeah. He, um, I don't know if he was a multimillionaire, but I mean, he seemed like he had all these little nest eggs set up. He was, you know, um, he even apparently like financially supported his brother. His brother said he owed his 
like living situation to Stephen Paddock and all this shit. Wow. So he, I mean, he was a high roller in casinos. Um, you know, and that's other something that's also doesn't line up is like, it's like, oh, he's like a high roller and he had all this money and stuff, but he looks like a disheveled like mess. You know, when you see him in pictures, like he doesn't look like he's like a high roller, but I mean, who know, I mean, there's probably a lot of high rollers in Vegas who don't look like they're high rollers, you know? I mean, so that doesn't really mean anything either. Um, but I mean, I don't know if you want to jump into like the whole, like all the false flag, multiple shooter theories, but I mean, I could understand more on event this large scale, why there would be sort of an explosion of like second doors or second shooter theories. Like where's the other shooter? Like I can understand that in a situation like this. The part that makes me really upset is when people go to the, to the length of saying, you know, this was, these were crisis actors. There's no blood. These were blanks. Where are the dead bodies? I want to see all the dead bodies. I want to see the autopsy reports. It's like, why, why do people, why can't people, um, that's the part that really angers me (laughs) because I mean, there's so many videos of it. Um, I've, I saw videos of the gun shots hitting the ground. Um, you can see the bullets ricocheting off the ground. I mean, there were, there was a lot of real people there that died and it's as clear as day on the videos. I mean, so that's, that's the part where I, I really do feel like we're in a bad place psychologically as a country where there already are people that paranoid like grown grown people not like kids right. or like you know like like people who are at home living with their parents on 4chan these are like grown adults posting regularly on facebook you know this crisis actor spotted in las vegas she's the same crisis actor from sandy hook it's like what in the fuck is right. happening i mean even let's just put ourselves in the shoes of these imaginary black ops false flag uh, stagers why would they let's say they used crisis actors why would they use the same crisis actor for the same event like a two two different events it doesn't even make sense are they it's that incompetent numbing. it's um, mind numbing it's so strange where these some of these conspiracies go but on I the agree, other hand and that's yeah no uh, go on i was just gonna say on the other hand the idea that there was a shooter on the fourth floor makes perfect sense how people were confused into thinking that because a bunch of people on the ground thought that because they saw the flashing coming from the fourth floor. It turns out that that same flashing was happening long before the shooting. And your brain, as you're watching, hearing the gunshots and seeing a regular bursting flashing coming from the fourth floor, of course, someone's natural reaction would be, oh, that's where the gun is coming from. Why is the media covering that up? But a video came out later showing that there was a strobe light flashing coming reflecting on that exact same window during the concert way before the shooting so that's already been debunked but like i can understand why people would you know jump there at first um it's it's total fucking chaos um right so but yeah i mean that's not what you're talking about though you're talking about trying to pin some kind of ideological motive on him like right out of the gates when no information is out trying to fill in this narrative yeah what was crazy is seeing all these right-wingers and the alt-right immediately say ISIS, of course. Um, and then when they, when they like, Laura Loomer, like, I, I 
can't even believe that I just signal boosted her. But I mean, this is the mentality. It's like they want it to be ISIS so bad. And fuck you to people who say like, oh, leftists just want it to be a white guy. No, I didn't have any reaction when I saw who it was. I just felt sick that people were like so desperate to politicize this horrific massacre while the blood was still running down the streets of Las Vegas. Um, It makes me sick that people want to just get these fucking clicks and immediately interject the the gun control, um, ISIS, Antifa. It's like, you guys should be ashamed of yourselves. Why don't you look at the, the just the disgusting toxicity that that thrives in our culture whether it be machismo um uh, patriarchal machismo um empire baby syndrome we're the largest weapons exporter in the world we carry out uh genocidal wars (laughs) Um, we drop two nuclear bombs somehow this is normalized as the basis of our american exceptionalism i mean the mental health um, epidemic where we have no health care we leave people to die in the streets could that be so- have something to do with it could all of these things together have something to do with why america experiences this unique phenomenon that no other country really deals with on top of that there's more guns than i think people um i think only second to like libya we have like more guns yeah um, and there's you know alex jones and all these right wingers trying to politicize it into saying it was an isis attack or this guy you know, shooting country music fans who's a leftist or whatever. I mean, it's it's really disgusting. And also, I mean, I, I think this needs to be called out also. And I hate doing this because it's because the right wing already picked up on this. But I think it's worthy of mentioning um, as a CBS legal executive. Um, and this is like not nearly as bad to me as like them trying to attribute Antifa or, a, you know, an organization that didn't do the attack to the attack. But it's also troubling that there is like a total dehumanization going on on like the neoliberal Democrat side, too. Like you brought this up a few episodes ago. how Someone said, like, I hope they all die in Houston or something like mm-hmm. they're white trash or whatever. Um, CBS legal executive said on I think it was on Facebook. She posted, um, I'm actually not even sympathetic because country music fans often are Republican gun toters. So, Yikes. I mean, it's like. That is disturbing that it's like we are sort of inching towards, I don't want to say use the phrase civil war, but it does feel like things are escalating to a point where it's like, you know, there are a lot of neoliberals and Democrats out there who think that the right are like subhuman, you know, animals that deserve to die and then vice versa. I mean, I almost feel like the, the, like the actual real left in this country has more empathy for like the you know the so-called white working class than like neoliberals and democrats do so it's well, of course it's um it's it's really disturbing and you know and unfortunately all of the right when they see things like this like they react like 10 times harder you know and the, and so like it just keeps inching up and escalating and escalating you know and then then now there's people you know walking around in in like the suburbs wearing shirts that say uh kill a commie for mommy and stuff like that so Pretty, Damn, dude. pretty horrifying. I mean, it was really horrifying. I went to bed thinking that no one had died. It had just happened, I think. And I was like, damn, I was like, how is that possible that no one died? And then waking up to see that 58 people were killed and over 500 injured. It was just, I just can't wrap my mind around how horrifying this is. And, and just the disgust of people trying to get clicks off of this tragedy. Um, it makes me sick. The the gun control thing, it's almost like just falling on deaf ears at this point because it's like there's so many guns in circulation already. 
um, that what would, you know, if even if you did ban assault rifles or whatever now, it's like, what would that even do? Um, I know. I mean, well, that's that's the thing. I mean, in places like Las Vegas and other places around the country, they have like machine gun shooting ranges you can go to and like rent a machine gun just to shoot for fun, like shoot a bunch of cars yeah. and shit. I mean, so it's not like these things are unobtainable, you know, like they're so hard to get. And they're already technically very restricted in the sense that, like, you to actually buy an automatic weapon, you need to register it with the ATF and, like, like document to them, like, where you go with it and stuff. Like, it's, like, very monitored. Mm-hmm. Um, it, they're only given to places like gun ranges and stuff. Um, you know, and I think even, like, you know, like, Hollywood movies sometimes uses, like, actual, like, old decommissioned machine guns and stuff like that for props. Um, but, I mean... Yeah, I mean, I don't think, like, I, I'm i frustrated by a lot of the gun control talk because I don't think that that's really the problem here. As crazy as that sounds, like, I don't think this guy would have been able to stab, you know, 59 people and kill them. But, I mean, you know, I mean, like, there are a lot of other methods. If a terrorist or someone who was really determined enough to just kill a bunch of innocent people, unfortunately, it's very, it's not that hard to do. I mean, that's to me like, I mean, I don't want to give anybody ideas, but I mean, one of the things that, that came up in the news, maybe like two, you know, for the last two or three years that I think is actually pretty, a pretty serious concern that's, you know, maybe at first when I heard it, I was like, oh, that's, you know, an exaggerated terrorism fear mongering. Like, for instance, flying a drone or a couple drones into some jet engines and a passenger airline while it's, while it's taking off. You know what I mean? Like, these are all things that if someone didn't care about getting caught, didn't care, you know, they already plan to commit suicide, they can easily accomplish in this country. So, I mean, you know, unfortunately, the real threats aren't isn't going to come from people like ISIS or Al Qaeda. It's going to come from just crazy people who have, you know, who are bored enough and who can want to take the time to premeditate like a crazy event. And just take themselves out at the end for pretty much no ideological reason at all. I mean, I think that's actually a genuine danger in this country. But what can you do about it? I mean, you can't, there's no way you can add more security to stop things like this. I mean, there's, I like, I don't see what that, what could have happened to stop this. Um, do you? I mean, at the very least, yeah. I mean, I mean, it's sad that now I'm like calling for this, but I feel like I would feel more comfortable now um, with, metal detectors going into uh these giant las vegas hotels i mean that uh, when people say how did he get all the guns in the room dude if you are a high roller at these vegas casinos you just like slip the bellman a hundred bucks and you're just like take up my 25 suitcases like no one cares the these casinos only care if you're cheating or somehow manipulating stuff on the floor like no one gives a shit what you do in your rooms no one cares how many bags you bring in so i mean it's just sad that that's where we're at i do think that we can do things um universal health care is the number one thing to immediately treat like anyone who's mentally ill that's the number one thing i think um but yeah the gun control thing i i I, it's just too late it's too late um and one other thing that really irritated me when i was reading about what happened not only is it just horrifying, these people are like corralled in this giant pen, um, but the SWAT team took, they waited an hour before going into the room. It reminds me of the Pulse nightclub shooting when they literally like let probably f- 
a dozen or so more people die because they were scared to actually go in. Officer safety. So SWAT teams will raid, um, you know, grandmother's homes at four in the morning and kill dogs and um, do all that. And that's fine. Um, But they refused an entire SWAT team refused to go into Stephen Paddock's room, even like 30 minutes after he stopped shooting and probably had already killed himself. Yeah. Well, apparently the cop, this is how the, the, the chronology of it. Apparently the regular police got there first. He was, he could already see them coming. So he started shooting through the door. Then they waited for SWAT to come and then SWAT waited because he was still shooting. Now, I mean, you know, I know the people on SWAT teams have uh, loved ones and families and children and stuff, but that's your job. Yeah. To me, that should be your fucking job is to put yourself in the line of fire, just like what a secret service agent is supposed to do when it could be potentially, you know, if even just one more person with the potential of dying that should be you should literally yeah. sacrifice your life to stop it but you know i don't i honestly don't even think that's the protocol i think that it's been we've gone in such a direction with police that it really is primarily about officer safety now that's right. why they have such a hair trigger response to you know a guy like breaking out of handcuffs and just like running away like that's why it's like a lot of cops have gotten off for shooting guys that way is because could have had a gun. You know, I mean, it's all about officer safety and it's really unfortunate. It shouldn't be. I mean, it should not be that way, especially when it I comes just thought to that like police. I thought police were all about like, we're putting ourselves in the line of fire. We're risking our lives every day. It doesn't seem like you're risking your lives at all. No, you're just waiting, waiting to make sure that the, the guy who just executed 60 people kills himself before you pussies go in the room. What a what a disgrace. What a disgrace. Um, and another thing that totally was debunked, this has been debunked before, of course, but these assholes like Alex Jones will continue to say we need more guns. We need to, if, if only all of us carried around guns, we would stop the mass shooter. Well, um, no. all these people who said that they had guns or there was even people at the concert goers who were like, we had a stockpile of guns, ammunition, like next door and shit they're like we couldn't do anything because we were so terrified that we would be gunned down and seen as the shooter ourselves well yeah he was a there was a specific guy who's like a he's like a guy who's like a wannabe hugh hefner like redneck hugh hefner guy who's got like a giant machine gun collection who's like an instagram celebrity like a but he's like a redneck like alt-right ish kind of guy and he was actually at the concert running away like periscoping and saying like i'm gonna go home and get my gun like some kind of like caveman, you know, reaction to what was happening, like in his gut. But I mean, any military person will tell you that's basically almost like a sniper style situation. If you're a sniper right. with like an unlimited supply of bullets and like 18 machine guns like re- at the ready and people don't know where you are and it's completely unexpected, that's a really difficult situation. Unless on the ground you have like a fucking rocket propelled grenade or something. Right. The chances of you taking out that person and fi- or just even finding them in that barrage of gunfire with no preparation is almost impossible. I mean, it, to me, that almost seems like he read like military training or like looked up like combat training or something to, to figure out exactly where to be. Um, I mean, there's also other weird things like he apparently tried to shoot two jet fuel tanks that were behind the concert. There's a runway back there Whoa. that's where air force one took off from he he actually left two bullet holes in the few tanks which 
for a smart guy with all these machine guns, that's an odd thing to do because I I even know that you can't ignite jet fuel with a bullet. Um, it doesn't. It's not like gasoline. Like even shooting a big tank of gasoline might not explode. But jet fuel is the, almost the same as like truck fuel. It's not. Um, it's like diesel. It's not very flammable. Um, and then another interesting thing about this guy is we've you and I have talked about this on podcast. I think like a year ago. Do you remember when that kid? Um, I think he was in Georgia or something, blew off his own leg uh, shooting an explosive target on an old abandoned lawnmower in the woods. No. Yeah. So I didn't even know this stuff existed before, but apparently it's a big pastime. Instead of just going shooting like in the South or, you know, in these places where a lot of people have guns and do target practice, it's a big pastime to shoot explosive targets. And you could buy this stuff called Tannerite um, that explodes when it's shot with a gun and you could just pile up as much of it as you want and shoot it to the point where it could actually like blow up a car, it could blow up a house. I mean, it's powerful. It's like real, really serious explosive. Um, I don't know what how it ranks like compared to dynamite or any other explosives, but it's a legit like you can make a bomb out of it. If you look up Tannerite on YouTube, like Tannerite bombs, it's insane to think that. If ISIS was a real threat, they wouldn't have already like gone to the south and just bought a shitload of tannerite and blew something up. Like, so, but this guy actually had a bunch of tannerite at his house. Oh, so wow. it could have been far, far worse if he oh had planted like tannerite targets on the ground and just shot them from a distance. He could have caused like Holy multiple shit. bombings plus mass shooting. I mean, it's it, that's how much, I mean, that scarily, this is how easy it would be. If you're a crazy enough person to really like cause a massive amount of damage. Well, it seemed like he, well, that's, I think that's the most frustrating part for everyone is that we just have no idea. Um, There was no manifesto. There was just no inclination of what the hell was behind this target, what his ideology was. And um, it's, it's super frustrating, but we shouldn't just like fill in the gaps with our own insane theories. I mean, going back to the Infowars thing, they're so desperately trying to link ISIS and Antifa that you should see these threads that have started on 4chan. I'll, I'll link to this guy's thread on the timeline of who has been tracing all of the conspiracies and and how just batshit crazy that they've gone. Um, where they're saying that this woman came out and said, you're all going to die. Um, she was also Filipino, therefore... Because his wife was in the Philippines, she must have been like working with ISIS because ISIS is there. Yeah. And then but the Antifa see, literature in his room. There was an actual video, though, of a woman, like an like an eyewitness who said someone said that everyone's going to die. That was, was kind of creepy. But I mean, that doesn't necessarily we have no idea wh- who that person was. No, I know. But I'm saying that 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 is not evidence for anything. You know, no, when it's you're not. in Vegas, there's a lot of crazy people on drugs like. I mean, it's just really, really depressing that to see where this is going. Um, and I, I don't really know where the conversation should be going, but it's just really disturbing to see the desperate attempts to like lambaste the left um, in the wake of this horrifying massacre. Um, it's it's really disheartening to see it, but I think there's a silver lining here where even though people are trying to do that, I don't think it's gaining the traction. Yeah. Um, that something like, say, like Charlie Hebdo did with like the wave of Islamophobia that fall. I mean, as bad as this was, like, I think it's the sort of the what it's going to do, like to the, you know, politically after the fact, I think is going to not move the needle very much. Mm -hmm. And that's almost 
like that's that's almost like a good thing but because i i don't really see what a gun control um debate i mean if anything like a gun control debate after this is just gonna like make the right like have a complete freak out right you know i mean they're they're all armed already anyways like we are really in a precarious situation in this country where if you do try to take gun, like say if something like as cartoonish as what Alex Jones ended up happening, like where they took the guns away from people, mm-hmm. like came to your house and took your gun away, mm-hmm. it's it's going to be hard to do. I mean, imagine how many people will feel that that's their moment to fight back against their you know Absolutely. right to bear arms or whatever. Absolutely, like it's it's scary, yep. and I think the people who run this country know that that's a very precarious situation. But not because, oh, the citizens can rise up and, you know, overthrow the government. Not because of that at all, but because it'll just be complete fucking chaos, uh, just like horror. The debate really just doesn't, has nowhere to go um, because we're the country that loves our guns. And, you know, you, you're not going to pry them unless it's from their cold, dead hands. <laughs> and so. thank, thank God that Trump, <laughs> I mean... It's really, I mean, if you really think about it, not the amount of death. I don't, I don't want to try to minimize how awful that the death toll was, but it really could have been worse. If I mean, think about what Trump has done all the time. He could have gone on Twitter and said, ISIS took credit, you know, like he could have just said things that could have escalated the mindset in this country, like way worse, I think. So it's almost like a miracle that he like somehow didn't or that like, the Republicans in general aren't necessarily running with that narrative. Even after God, ISIS I mean, tried is, to is double down. Is that where down. we're at, though? Is what? that where we're at? It now? is where we're at. I mean, that's how sad. <laughs> because I do. Because I do think we're we're still in a very precarious, dangerous situation. I don't. I really. I think America is is almost like a powder keg right now. Oh, of course. Um, I just don't know how it's going to play out. I mean, it's very, very scary. I mean, even just the the, the whole like Antifa fear mongering um, by the mm-hmm. right is scary enough. I mean, that's that's making right wingers all over the country think that they're going to be, you know, punched out, knocked out in public, or hit with a bike lock over their head or whatever. Just like the knockout game. I mean, it's the same thing, but now it's like every right winger thinks that they're like a target if they're like openly pro Trump. I mean. It's not. It's going to be. I think it's going to get uglier. Um, yeah, and and it is getting uglier already. Not only the Antifa hysteria, um, but the downgrading of the threat of white supremacists. This is in the wake of Charlottesville. That the you know we we learned that the FBI was like l- actually made a concerted effort to um, relinquish like their attention to white supremacists, even after acknowledging that that white supremacists and, and white men commit the most terrorism in this country. And instead, um, in August, the FBI is now warning against a new movement that is violent, growing, and racially motivated. It's black identity extremists. Oh, my God. Um, wait, the gu- wait, who in the government is warning about the this? The FBI, baby, the counterterrorism division. Holy shit. Now... Now Black Lives Matter is going to be a terrorist group. So now FBI counterterrorism division has declared that black identity extremists pose a growing threat of premeditated violence against law enforcement. Some experts and former government officials said the FBI. So now this is just people saying like how insane it is and how the FBI is just painting disparate groups and individuals as as sharing a radical defined ideology. Um, And it also just reckons back to the era of COINTELPRO. I mean, not that it ever really ended, but Wow. 
Um, and that's and that's also just completely on its face, like so racist and also like a violation of, I'm sure, some sort of code within the FBI that you can't just like target people based on like their race. So, you know, in 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 a country where so far in 2017, almost 800 people have been shot and killed by police, including nearly 200 African-Americans. It's very disturbing and begs the question, where are these threats coming from? Are they talking about that one guy who shot the police officers like in Texas that one time? Like who who are they even talking about? <laughs> what threat is coming from Black Lives Matter that could be remotely construed as a terrorist or like extremist threat? Well, Locking this is what highways. The, this is how they conflate things. I mean, the, the, you know, they like you could maybe pull a handful of examples out from like the last five years of, you know, a black guy claiming that his motive for like killing, you know, a cop or people was like racially motivated. And they're trying to conflate that with this idea that like all of Black Lives Matter is dangerous or that they want to kill whitey or kill white people or whatever. Um, that, and this is what people like people like Matt Drudge have been doing for like the last 20 years, trying to conflate right. all these things. Right. Or trying to act like any time a racially motivated attack happens against a white person that the media just covers it up. Mm-hmm, that it's like mm-hmm, a mm-hmm. cover up happening. I mean, that's their... And, and we've Cultural talked about Marxism, brass. What? Cultural Marxism, dude. It's just like how when people talk about Sweden and, and Muslims and, and Europe and stuff, they only point to like three examples, like the the pool molestation incident, the rape, mass rape in, in Cologne or whatever. It's like the like two stories. And then when you even whittle those down, it's like totally misconstrued and not really real. Um, but they just they just only have like a very few examples to just continue to you know, parade around their racist horseshit, like the Breitbart talking points. It's like, well, um, but let's let, and, and let's, let's move on to, you know, we could talk about Puerto Rico and Houston and everything. I feel like everyone knows how disgraceful Trump has been, um, when it comes to hurricane disaster relief. Um, I'm coming out with a series for empire files about Houston one month later when all the cameras were gone, um, and not being parasitic vultures and just, you know, seeing what happened, um, and it's very disturbing. I'll, I'll give you a little hint. It is extremely disturbing. Not only have these neighborhoods been completely neglected and never visited, they're all denied FEMA relief. They've lost everything. They're living in gutted out, moldy like structures because they have nowhere else to go. And on top of that, Texas is the most deregulated state with like no zoning laws. So just being there, you know, the Arkema chemical plant and walking around, you're just seeing like schools next to chemical plants and oil plants. Um, and it's extremely disturbing, you know, how much influence these companies have over academia, hospitals. So that's very depressing. Puerto Rico is very depressing. The fact that half of Americans don't even understand that Puerto Ricans are American citizens. And I honestly think that's probably what Trump thought. Trump probably had no idea that Puerto Rico was was um, had American citizens living there. That's why he was probably like, oh, why is everyone so upset at me um, that I'm not like going above and beyond to help Puerto Rico? He's probably like, what the fuck? Um, so that was probably news to him um, that Puerto Rico is actually, you know, we need to actually take care of it. <laughs> also, it's just funny. It's like, why do we still have a colony? Um, and it is essentially a colony. People want to blame actually Puerto Rico for mismanagement. They are owned by Wall Street. They've been gutted. Like literally they have no ability to govern themselves without a colonial management board 
in D.C. doing things for them. So it's just disgusting to see this kind of lazy brown people narrative, not only propagated by Trump himself saying they want everything to be done for them, but just his dumbass um, followers who are like, yeah, it's not it's not Trump. It's it's then they are. They're so they're so dumb. They can't distribute the aid. You heard all that stuff? No, I did not, actually. Oh, God. I mean, and then there's the video of Trump. I mean, there's so many horrifying moments where him saying it's not a real disaster, him saying they want everything to be done for them, him saying that the San Juan mayor just got told from Democrats to hate on him. She's she's in waist-deep sewage, like, wading around San Juan, like, trying to rescue people. And, like, the audacity of this motherfucker like sitting surrounded by his hundreds of servants um, saying they want everything to be done for them and that it's the it's their mismanagement and disorganization that is preventing the island from getting recovery. And and then he goes and he's passing around flashlights and throwing rolls of toilet paper and paper towels to people and they're just bouncing off people's heads in the audience. It's the most disgraceful thing I've ever seen. <laughs> I mean, it, 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 it's, it really seems like it's really only him i think it's i think this is true now like it's pretty clear that it's him who is sabotaging his own presidency like at every turn and not like not that he doesn't give a shit it's that he just doesn't like he's so egotistical and so unwilling to like take advice and i really don't i feel like at this point people don't even like tell him what you know like what not to do they probably just don't even like bother mentioning it at this right. point. Like, did you see John Kelly at the UN um, when Trump was talking about North Korea and Rocket Man? Now they're going to destroy he, North pissed? Korea. You saw that? Did, was he just looking really irritated, or like had his hand on his head? Like he had his hand it? on his head and like rubbing it. Like it was like yeah. such an ob. It wasn't even like he wasn't even trying to hide his exasperation. That's how bad it must be mm-hmm. behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they know I, they just have to kiss his ass. Well, yeah, he's the president. And <laughs> when he's throwing those paper towels out, you're telling me that even like all of his like most loyal people like back behind the scenes weren't like cringing at that. And like, holy fuck, like, what is he doing? Like, we, like, it. I mean, it's, it's really crazy that he does. The optics are shocking. Can you imagine Maduro throwing out rolls of toilet paper to Venezuelans? Imagine. It would be absolutely like on the front page of every goddamn right. newspaper right jamie kirchick would jizz his pants right at a picture like that if there's video of that i mean this is so <laughs> this is um it like when i saw that i was thinking so how long before he's like shooting a t-shirt gun mm-hmm. you know with maga hats or like like at people like who are suffering from some kind of calamity not too long robbie i mean it uh, yeah yeah. I mean, if he had a t-shirt gun, he probably would have used it. Yeah, like I mean, I mean, I almost feel like we're we're not that long away from him dropping like leaflets after like a bombing in the Middle East for like a Mar-a-Lago resort or one right. of his golf courses. Like with an ad on the back of the leaflet. I mean, it's just he has zero shame. And that thing you sent me, I mean, let's get into Yeah. Do you mind just changing gears away from the Puerto Rico? Yeah, yeah. Just talk about Trump as fucking insanity. Yeah. Um, the thing you just sent me from John Schwartz, um, where John Read Schwartz it. tweeted, I don't know what what was the article this is from. That's I, I couldn't. I didn't know. I'm sure if we just okay. like Google the text, but yeah. Yeah, and it's uh, 
so Read he's it. basically saying, what's the purpose of the U.S. empire? Trump asked. Madison Tillerson gave him the same answer Noam Chomsky would, corporate profit. Um, and the actual section from this article says, to be successful, Madison Tillerson decided they should use talking points and commentary with which they believed Trump would be more familiar. The role that the military, intelligence officers, and diplomats play in making the world safe for American businesses, like the Trump Organization, to operate and expand abroad. And uh, it goes on to say that private foreign investment is one, is one of the primary like talking points they tried to use. Um, well, so that's pretty blatant. That's more blatant than PNAC's rebuilding America's defenses. That's more blatant than most American policymakers um, have ever been willing to be. Um, and I think that's, again, it's another reason why the so-called establishment still hates Trump. It's not because he's not going to do the things they want or he's not going to give them the wars they want. It's because he's taking the mask off this sort of way that you're supposed to talk and way mm -hmm. that you're supposed to present the American, you know, empire. You're not supposed to present it as an empire. It's not, you're not supposed to present it like it's a money-making venture. You're supposed to present it like it's an altruistic, you know, organization that takes af takes care of the world. Right. And, 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 helps and paint people. people who calls that as conspiracy theorists, the people who want to say like, oh, you, you know, Democrats, Republicans working together main, to maintain empire. These people scoff at that being like, you, you conspiracy theorists. Like remember when Kissinger, um, was it Bill Crystal who was just like, I've written a lot of things. I don't um, remember. When someone called, like called out his old writings talking about conspiring, <laughs> you know, to, to do these things. And he was just like, uh, yeah, I've written a lot. So that doesn't stand out to me. Um, that's how these people treat reporting um, uh, about their wrongdoings and about like very obvious things that are colluding with weapons manufacturers and um, all this stuff because they love that veil of humanitarianism. Yeah, it's all about the veil. I mean, that's what's so interesting to me about someone like R David Frum becoming accepted by the so-called resistance and the Democrats and being like in their little club now is because the things that he would say back in 2003 um, were just as crazy as Trump, in a di but in a different flavor of crazy. Mm -hmm. I mean, there is a literally a video of him from, um, uh, I think it's called, uh, fuck, I can't remember the name of the documentary. It's a really good documentary about the neocons. Um, and it's, God damn it, I can't remember the title. Anyways. David Frum, Richard Pearl, Michael Ledeen are in it. It's basically about like the buildup to launching the Iraq war, like the week leading up to like the actual invasion. And there is a scene in it where David Frum uh, seems orgasmic. And he's like, I just want to like pray for American arms. Like uh, it's like a really Ugh. exciting moment. And he's like, his facial expression is like showing like almost like ecstasy or something. Um, and it's, I mean, if you read read his book with Richard Pearl, I mean, it's quite a dark, dark worldview. And I mean, it's borderline Pamela Geller. It's just Pamela Geller, you know, with nice wrapping paper around it. I mean, that, and so it's like, where did Trump get a lot of his rhetoric mm -hmm. about Muslims from? It was from people like Pamela Geller, who really are, I think they're more acolytes of people like Richard Pearl and David Frum. They just push the rhetoric even harder and make it more appealing to like bloodthirsty Americans, mm -hmm. less so the intellectual class. So 
I mean, I think there is a very strong ideological line that connects, you know, how people like David Frum are with Trump. But it, that's so that it's funny that now, you know, he acts like he's the Antichrist when, I mean, in a lot of ways, this is just a natural evolution of how things were going to go, I think. Um, yeah. And, and you can see that mentality when you look and you, when you're reminded that Jamie Kirchick um, loved um, Andrew Breitbart. I mean, it's not new that Breitbart is racist and the website's total trash. Um, but these people like to distance themselves from the alt-right now, you know, forgetting that they helped signal boost them. Yeah. I mean, that's that's what's like, I think at one time there was a there was an admiration that neocons had for people like Breitbart because they weren't, you know, they were really effective, you know, um, and even though Drudge and Breitbart have always been kind of like outsiders, DC outsiders in some way or another, I really, I mean, it's pretty obvious that on things like Iran, Muslims, um, the things that, that allow for war, they, they probably loved it originally when Breitbart was pushing all that stuff. I mean, the Iran deal, for example, under Obama, I mean, they, they, they were going like triple barreled. It was the alt-right, you know, not, not, not called the alt-right back then, but like Breitbart and those kinds of outlets were all conjoining together with like the Tom Cotton Emergency Committee for Israel, Bill Crystal agenda and John Bolton as well. Mm -hmm. You remember John Bolton was running ads against Rand Paul when he was running for president before Trump ran, um, basically showing a mushroom cloud exploding at like a, a family dinner table, like a family sitting down to dinner and blaming Rand Paul for an eventual Iranian nuclear attack. In the United nice. States. I like how we're just rebranding the Daisy commercial. Yeah. Oh, like totally. Just like Hillary Clinton did later. Remember? Yeah. But yep. this is this is what people forget because the neocons now have shifted and they act like they the alt-right is the worst thing you know they've ever seen they're anti-semitic etc but they didn't care about any of that shit when it worked for them to sort of join forces with them yeah. i mean i think iran is a really good example and the iranian deal and what tom cotton accomplished is basically acting as a bill crystal surrogate he got over a million dollars in donations quote unquote um to basically to write that letter and get a bunch of people to join on. And uh, I think, I mean, I think that that's, you know, so you're going to see a lot of examples of these assholes who pretend like they hate the alt right now, loving them at, at a certain point or really showing strong admiration for them. And I think it makes perfect sense. Yeah, we should move on more to also to the North Korea um, yeah, so, stuff too. Uh, and and what kills me is seeing all of these liberal neoliberal pundits and, um, you know, basically saying that Trump is Hitler and can't be trusted with the nuclear codes. Yet, you see a pretty bipartisan consensus when it comes to giving him unlimited war powers. Um, uh, I think it was like a month ago the Senate passed a seven hundred billion dollar defense policy bill. With basically John McCain's vision, um, 100%. So all these all these sycophants who want to say, oh, Trump wants to normalize relations with Russia, um, you know, who are upset about the Ukrainian coup, well, too bad. Because the entire bill pretty much just reflects John McCain's foreign policy vision, an expansive, an expansive vision 
of the role of the U.S. in world affairs. I mean, imagine that. <laughs> We're already in almost every country in the world, um, over a thousand military bases, but we need more. We need more. So it authorizes $500 million to provide a security assistance, including weapons, to Ukraine. Why is that? Why are we providing half... Um, a hundred million or five hundred million dollars to Ukraine weapons. What the hell? And then a hundred million dollars to help Baltic nations quote deter Russian aggression. And don't forget, Robbie, another seven hundred and five million for Israel um, to help their missile defense programs. So wrapping up, it's about six hundred million more than even Trump requested. A um, hundred million to deter Russian aggression and five hundred million for Ukraine. For weapons, not to mention the Israel stuff. Isn't that incredible? It is incredible. And there's there's no resistance from the Trump administration this time about boosting the weapons even more to Ukraine. And this is where it gets surreal, just honing in on Ukraine for a yeah. second is, you know, I don't I can't predict what Hillary would have been doing at this point with Ukraine and Russia. But to me, this almost seems like it's going in a different like to Obama actually as bad as he was. And I have to say this again. It did seem like he was at least putting the brakes on in some fashion, the escalation towards like with more more hostilities with Russia towards the end of his presidency. For whatever reason, he decided to start working in conjunction with Russia, bombing Syria. Um, he decided to um, not run fully with the you know the russia meddled with our election thing he was suspiciously like not vocal about that even his last speech he didn't even refer to it as a hack you know he he, he like the, in terms of the emails um hillary's emails but it's almost seems like trump again he maybe is thinking well if obama didn't want to send these weapons to ukraine then we're going to do the opposite and you know we'll just allow them to go um, because this is this almost seems like to be worse than what Obama would have been doing if he was still in office in terms of just Ukraine. Um, well, it's so, totally outlandish considering his base. I thought that was a big selling point was the normalization with Russia and to like end the weapons shipment to neo Nazis and like Syrian rebels. But apparently, that just totally fell by the wayside. Just well, you're you're. I think you brought up two interesting things that on one side, I think you had like a lot of his base saying we don't want to fund jihadists in Syria like Obama, which kind of yeah. has like a racial tinge. Right. He's a black guy who could be a secret Muslim funding jihadists, you know, another mm -hmm. racially tinged. I mean, yes, the term jihadist is a real term, but if you deny that it has a racial or racist connotation the way it's used most of the time, then you're naive because that's the way most people use it. Or even terms like Islamo-fascist. These are all quote-unquote coded racist terms for Muslims, um, those people, you know, of course, you know, cheered when, uh, you know, Trump supposedly ended the Syrian rebel program. He only ended the CIA arm of it, which is significant, but there is still a Pentagon Syrian rebel program. Um, but that's, you know, that's something I think that they did, you know, they do care about. But when it comes to Ukraine, I mean, or it comes to like funding neo-Nazis in Ukraine, I don't even think most people on the alt-right even give a shit or even honestly don't even uh, know very much about Ukraine mm -hmm. or we're paying attention during that situation like and know what it what its implications are for our relationship with Russia I mean would you say that's true that like most of them probably yeah I mean, I mean yeah 
Yeah, it seems like they're just really honed in on the jihadist thing. And and like the Julian Assange point about how the alt-right is has more anti-war sentiment. No, it seems like the alt-right only cares about what you just said. Um, Literally. Collaborating to kill more Muslims in the war on terror. Yeah. Um, seems pretty obvious. Yeah, absolutely. I don't see any of them talking about North Korea. I don't see anyone talking about Venezuela. Why is that? It's huh. because they don't give a shit about, they really don't care if there's wars or not. I mean, all they care about is they just want, you know, I mean, like I was saying earlier, um, I think I might have said this on the last podcast, but, or you might have, that the polling for bombing North Korea is, I think it's well over 50% positive. Wow. Um, something like 60%. And this is a very recent poll taken maybe like a month ago. So... I really, I, I think that, yeah, I mean, unfortunately, most people in general, I don't think will care very much if we bomb North Korea. Because it's that, been the most cartoonishly depicted country in the world. Uh, I mean, I, yeah. I have always said this, that as soon as the U.S. empire really has its sights set on um, regime change in North Korea, it would be extremely easy because it just takes a day of the news cycle to convince Americans that there's widespread cannibalism and mass executions of people who aren't crying for Kim Jong-un and all this stuff. I mean, you can believe anything. You can say anything. You can believe anything. It's such a closed-off society that it would be extremely easy to manufacture that consent. And as you just mentioned, it didn't take too long where we saw polls drastically flip just in the last six months from yeah. just nonstop war propaganda. Yeah, I mean, the, the sad thing is, I mean, ISIS makes more convincing propaganda videos than North Korea does. That's what's so weird about this to me is like, I mean, yeah, their rhetoric is sort of trying to equal ours when they like will respond. I mean, and I, you know, again, like I don't know what the actual translations are. I don't speak um, Korean. I don't know. Like, so I'm just going by what how the media mm -hmm. filters it to us. So I just trust anytime I, you know, see like a, you know, a threat from the North Korean government or whatever towards us. It's hard to know um you know exactly what that says just like Ahmadinejad saying he's mm -hmm. going to wipe Israel off the map I mean that was we know how bullshit that was and how that still persists as a talking point um sort of in our you know d debates about Iran um but what were we talking about before North Korea I feel yeah like no had... let's talk about I mean we we're I was going to say that um Trump just told a room full of military commanders at a photo op um, he was hosting his top military brass and their spouses for dinner at the White House. You know, he's just surrounded by all these handpicked generals. But it's really smart. Like Julian Assange says, he's trying to prevent that deep state coup. Um, but um, <laughs> yeah, then again, he, he's surrounded by generals who are totally insane and who want that next war so they can manage that next war and get their fucking medals on their on their uniforms. Um, they're posing for this photo. And this is what Trump says. You know what this represents? It's the calm before the storm. Reporter, what's the storm? Trump, it could be the calm, the calm before the storm. Reporter, Iran, ISIS, what storm, Mr. President? <laughs> Trump, we have the world's greatest military people in this room. I will tell you that. And uh, we're going to have a great evening. Reporter, what storm, Mr. President? Trump, you'll find out. <laughs> You almost gave it. You almost made him sound like way more presidential than, <laughs> than he did it in the clip. I mean, it is so disturbing. That this said. was the day Donald Trump became president. There's this. There's this comedian who every day she just tweets that she just says, "This is the day Donald <laughs> Trump became president" because it just applies to everything. <laughs> 
it's so it's so funny because the actual clip is so awkward and weird he's like all smiley and they're taking a photo giant photo of all of them and online and he just starts just off the cuff like ad-libbing again Mm -hmm. like this is what's so disturbing about his some of his war rhetoric is i'd say at least 75 percent of it seemed like ad-libs right and it's like you know, even to like some of the more like even like someone like Mattis, who seem, also seems like a psychopath, even to him, he's probably like, dude, like what? Why? Like, why is he saying that? I mean, I that, that's my sense of it. I could be completely off base, but I just don't feel like anyone who's serious about like launching some kind of military assault wants the president to be like saying shit like that. I mean, he's even he's even going against his own you know, phony rhetoric in the campaign where he's like, we're not going to say what we're going to do. You know, like, it's it, like, I'm not going to tell you what I'm going to do with North Korea. Well, he, it, he like can't help himself. <laughs> and I'm yeah, laughing, exactly. but it's like really disturbing. Cause it almost, it does telegraph to me that he's already somehow decided he's going to do this. Like, that's what's scary about it is it seems like one day we're going to wake up and it's just going to be like, well, a, you know, an unknown amount of dead people in North Korea, like, we're waiting for their response right now. Like that, like it's, I mean, it's a really scary thought and I really hope something like that doesn't happen, but I just, I don't have much hope that his, the people underneath him are going to be able to be diplomatic, which seems like what's actually happening. Well, no right one can now. say no to him. Yeah. And, 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 and we know how much power he has. And, and even like Congress people are like tweeting being like, is anyone else scared? Like let's help prevent Trump from, preemptively launching like a nuclear strike it's like how is this happening well yeah i mean this is one of the (laughs) creepiest things is he tweeted um that tillerson is wasting his time on north korea (laughs) his own secretary of state is wasting his time trying to do diplomacy with north korea but robbie you you almost gave him too much credit again you made him sound more presidential he really said he's wasting his time with rocket man Holy fuck. Okay, that's where he said Rocketman. Um, yeah, I mean, this is just, it's hard to even <laughs> process this because, yeah, this is almost the exact awful scenario that people, you know, predicted might happen is that they would get like a, that Trump would like start a war on Twitter with North Korea. Um, but I just didn't, you know, I still can't process it. And, it's it's just yeah it's really it's a really dangerous situation um and tillerson spoke to the media not more than i think like two and a half weeks ago saying that we're having dialogue with north korea he thinks there's like a path to dialogue um so it's yeah it's really really weird when the president himself is undermining like a attempted diplomacy by his secretary of state to try to de-escalate a war with another nuclear country that's really strange. But Robbie Rocketman insulted him. Don't you understand? I it's mean, what did so he even say babyish. to him? Like, what did, what did uh, Kim Jong-un actually say about Trump? Oh, nothing. I mean, he didn't even say anything personal. I don't even think about him. He just said that we're going to retaliate and da-da-da, the, the usual trope. But uh, Trump just couldn't handle it. He, like, cannot handle the fact that, like he got threatened, even though we've been preemptive, like threatening North Korea in every single way, shape and form with like ballistic missile just pointed at, you know, North Korea from like every single um, surrounding base. 
Um, basically, the entire area around North Korea is a base. And also well, Guam as a base. So it's like this whole threat about like wiping Americans out of Guam. It's like, well, that also is a base. Um, yeah. But no, I, I mean, I don't, I, I, I don't know. Maybe there was some sort of exchange that really set Trump off. But I think it was just his ego was like damaged because he got threatened. And because the North Korean government is like also saying they're going to do a hydrogen bomb test next, apparently. Ooh. And they're claiming that they're going to do it like over an open ocean, sort of like how we did with the Bikini Island uh, test. And I'm really concerned that if North Korean government even like attempts to do that, even if they're not directly like threatening anyone, you know, and it's just like a a, a test explosion, like that oh, can't it's gonna help. be it's gonna be over. They're gonna the U.S. Yeah. government might even like come in and like bomb them like before they even do it. Yeah, because like, you think know that we that have intelligence be, mm-hmm. that knows, you know, I mean, it has a pretty sophisticated knowledge about what they're preparing to do and stuff. Um, Which also is crazy to think about that, that that like we can do that. We can test all these nuclear bombs, dozens of these insanely um, cancer causing, pollution causing damage for millennia that we've done to the ocean and Bikini Atoll and wiped out all these islands and all these people were just unwitting guinea pigs. Yeah. That's amazing. Can you imagine if another country just preemptively nuked us? Because <laughs> they're like, yeah. no, you can't nuke the middle of the ocean. We're going to bomb you first. Well, our own government did. I mean, if you really, if I mean, it's almost like, <laughs> I mean, think about it. Like, they were so careless. They fucking the amount of nuclear bomb tests that were done underground in like oh my Nevada. God. I mean, it's disturbing. Like, just that alone. Like, how many people in Nevada get like cancers or diseases from radiation that they that the government's like still covering up? I mean, we really have no idea. I mean, it was only discovered in like the '90s that. The real secret at Area 51 is they were just letting all these people die from breathing in like burning toxic chemicals every day in burnt giant burn pits. And they didn't give a shit. The Environmental Protection Agency was never allowed in there. Unbelievable. I mean, so, the, I mean, <laughs> you know, it's it's terrible. I mean, to think about, you know, what we were allowed to get away with and what another country's not allowed to get away with. I mean, I don't want anyone... Right. You know, blowing up hydrogen bombs or nuclear bombs, but like, I mean, that's that's what's worrisome to me is if they get to that level, mm-hmm. um, and they want to show strength like that, that the U.S. government is is going to do something, you know, or you know, I mean, I wouldn't even rule out a false flag attack of some kind or just a hoax like the Gulf of Tonkin, something on that level. I mean, to me, that's when the idea of a false flag should actually be considered or mentioned is when you know there's a need to go into a war right so like when the vegas shooter everyone's saying false flag false flag after the fact it's like if if trump literally the next day morning said this is an isis attack we're going to show them you know what we mean like this is isis in the philippines or we're sending like planes there right now like go bomb like i would be like okay wait a second like this needs to be examined deep more deeply like this might be some kind of, you know, some kind of incident that was you, you know, like I don't know. I'm not going to say it's right. A no, false of course, flag, no, no. Like, I hear what you're saying. When they're when events are used for political means, the, yeah. The, the Vegas thing. If I could just say one thing about it really quick, it's hilarious. Um, even just the logic, the break of logic by saying it's a false flag, but then, but Trump wasn't involved, right? Trump and his administration had nothing to do with it, but somehow it was some sort of false flag. Why? By the Democrats? Soros the false flag. The ghost of Hillary. Soros false flag. 
Soros false flag. Okay, cool. So there's there's like dueling power structures, and yeah. Soros is still it's, engineering everything. Interesting. Yep. 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 I mean, it's cool. it's just whatever whatever people want to believe now. You know, whatever I mean? sticks. I mean, even um, and I, yeah, going back to Vegas just really quickly because I didn't mention this earlier, and, and it should be mentioned, is that um, Alex Jones was reading live on his show with Paul Joseph Watson next to him on like a video cast saying that he has a high level secret CIA source that he just got an email from that claims that this was like part of some fast and furious gun running operation for the FBI. The guy had connections to uh, anti had Antifa literature and it's part of some like he's actually like an Obama insider. <laughs> Paul Joseph Watson actually disputed the validity of this like source live on air to Alex Jones and Alex Jones was not pleased and uh you know he didn't fight him too much but it was actually really funny to see Paul Joseph Watson being like well if that's true or not like he just started a sentence with if that turns out to be true or not and Alex Jones just like interrupted him he's like no this is a high level secret CIA source right here he's like he's like this is legit and he starts like getting all like heated and Paul Joseph Watson just kind of like tries to change the conversation, but, um, but yeah, <laughs> I just yeah, wanted no, to mention very, that. Very, very, very funny. It's like every day it's something else, but I agree with you that if, if there is something that is used as like a provocation to get in North Korea, it should absolutely be examined. Same with Iran, same with Venezuela. Um, these are the things that we need to pay attention to the state crimes against democracy. These we state already provocations. Know. Yeah, we already know that Mattis, uh, this was reported, and I don't think it's ever been like disputed, that Mattis was actually trying to figure out a way to stage a provocation with Iran in Iranian waters with a ship. He didn't go into specifics, but this was like very early into the Trump administration. He was talking, like sort of gaming out a scenario like that. So this isn't even necessarily like CIA, black ops, like new world, you know, like like whatever you want to call it, like shadow government, deep state people, even high level generals talk about these kinds of scenarios. They're just as familiar with the power of like a false flag as, you know, any anyone else is. Oh, yeah, that um, was a really good clip. That guy. Oh, man. People should look that up. I, oh, yeah. I they, uh, oh, it. God. I always forget that guy's name, but he was an actual he's like a Zionist neocon think tank guy. Yep, and he's giving just a casual talk about how we should stage a false flag to get into Iran. It's quite shocking. It is. Well, the hypocrisy but, is is just nauseating. I mean, the, the Saudi Arabia granting women to be able to drive. Great. Amazing. Uh, that's so great. And meanwhile, demonizing everything that Iran does. Um, women are taxi drivers, bus drivers there. It's just like, it's just such a stark contrast when you're looking at these two countries and who's the greatest ally and who's the, the enemy. It's just, it's just insulting to our intelligence, frankly. Um, did you want to talk about anything else in terms of foreign policy before we move on to the Israel attack? Yeah. Um, let's talk a little bit about, I mean, the Iran deal. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, please. Just quickly. I mean, it seems like uh, we're already moving in a direction pretty clearly um where neocons like outsider like not the neocons um you know who like john bolton and stuff we already know they're supporting trump but i mean like people like bill crystal and other neocons who want to destroy the iran deal and want to and still probably want to attack iran even though bill crystal doesn't say that openly anymore although he used to all the time um it seems like there's already movements being made for a convergence of 
even those resistance neocons with the Trump administration, because all of a sudden Nikki Haley <clears throat> um, is praising Tom Cotton. And Tom Cotton is basically saying that you can't, uh, this Iran deal just can't work. It's like a complete, you know, acquiescence to their nuclear program. Um, we have to throw it out. Um, Again, Tom Cotton's the guy who got paid a million dollars to do that horseshit letter. Um, and he's like a Bill Crystal henchman, just for context. For yeah. The guy who you we were talking about earlier. Yeah. Um, Emergency Committee for Israel. Yeah. <clears throat> um, and so this is from a Daniel McAdams article from Anti-War. He says, Ambassador Nikki Haley is promoting Senator Cotton's rationale for decertification of Iran delivered yesterday at the Council on Foreign Relations. And Bill Crystal is on board. Why decertify Iran? As Senator Cotton told the CFR crowd, one thing I learned in the army is that when your opponent is on his knees, you drive him to the ground and you choke him out. Um, and then goes on to say, former U.S. ambassador to the U.N. John Bolton, who is no doubt already measuring the drapes in his Secretary of State Rex Tillerson's office, went so far as to pen a helpful guide to exiting the Iran deal for President Trump. Um, his plan for exiting the deal consists of one strong arming allies two, So like basically anyone who's allied with Iran, um, or who's allied with us, who has some leverage over Iran, like threatening them basically Two, producing more neocon white papers on how bad the deal is. And three further propagandizing Congress and the American people. Um, and the interesting thing is that Daniel McAdam points out is he says, where exactly is Iran in violation of the deal? Bolton doesn't say. So in all these arguments that Iran is in violation of a nuclear deal, there's never really any specific, like you would think all these people with all their expertise would be like, they're in violation of this specific thing and this specific, like even the Bush administration was able to come up with like a more specific like violation that they claim Saddam was in violation of. Like the amount of, an like his anthrax stockpiles were supposed to be destroyed. That's like a very specific thing. They would even like say the amount of numbers, even though they were, you know, it was a lot of it was bullshit and cherry picked information. They don't even, the neocons don't even have like a legitimate reason why Iran is in violation of the deal. It's just all based on like a gut feeling like, well, of course they're in violation of it. We can't trust them. Like we've never been able to trust them. Like this deal was, you know, like a, like a bad deal to begin with. Like we're stupid for trusting them. I mean, that's kind of, I mean, that's a, the, in, sort of the intrinsic, I think, reason why, um, they're, that's all they're putting out there. Like they really have no substance. Um, so this is something that Trump seems committed to as well is throwing this deal out and regressing us back to, again, one of the only other good things Obama did as president where he tried to normalize relations with Iran a little bit, um, that's going to be reversed as well. And I, I guess I, before we move on to other subjects, the only other foreign policy thing that's peculiar to me that's happening right now um, is this Cuba sonic weapons um, accusation. Um, and I, I think I brought this up to you earlier and you said you didn't even hear about it in the news. Right. Um, it's not getting very much like play in the news, but it's been reported in enough like newspapers that it's like a, an ongoing thing. Apparently people inside the Trump administration, um, I think at mostly the state department are investigating how this happened. And the claim is that dozens of American diplomats that are staying in Cuba, um, are actually suffering from partial hearing loss, like gradual over time, partial deafness 
Um, but like very seriously, not just like, you know, like ear damage, but actually claiming that they're mm-hmm. om- like some of them are actually almost completely deaf. Um, now, the accusation illusion, though, in these news stories isn't that c- the Cuban government did this. Um, again, it's something that they're also trying to tie to Russia that, you know, they're not invested. They're, they're claiming they're not looking at the Cuban government that for some reason they don't think they were responsible but that somehow Russia used like being in Cuba because like Russia can travel in and out of Cuba like easier than we can or something to deafen American diplomats with a sonic weapon. Um, wow. Yeah. So the strange thing to me that jumped out and I have like auto engineering training background. I went to a, um, a you know, I got an associate's degree for audio engineering uh, at a school out here in the East Bay. Um, so when I first heard this story, the first thing I thought of was that sounds impossible. How could you, unless you blast someone with their knowledge, you know, you blast someone with a high pitched enough or specific frequency enough sound that's loud enough decibels straight into their ear, or even within a certain range, you could deafen somebody. Like a lot of concert systems at rock concerts you know, if you played a certain type of frequency to them and turned them up even louder um, and blasted somebody with it and made them listen to it for like, you know, half an hour straight, you could deafen somebody. Or if you put headphones on somebody that were loud and powerful enough, you know, to, um, you know, to hurt somebody's ears, you could, you could do that as well. But it would still, it would still be like a very up close, you would have to have very intimate contact with the person. It would also be very loud. Now, the theory, like they, they're not really proposing a theory about how they think this happened, um, but it just it sounds very unusual to me. Like it's just not possible for. Oh, it just sounds like a ludicrous conspiracy that they've been loving at Cuba. It's like every year you hear a different sort of like subversive thing that the government's doing either against U.S. like diplomats or like its own citizens to like mind control them. Exactly. It's amazing. Yeah. So. I was trying to play this out in my mind and the only way I could think of that this, you know, anyone could accomplish something like this without someone knowing it, like without being subjected blatantly to like loud sound into their ear. It's like a hidden like pillow speaker that's playing like an inaudible, but very loud like tone right into someone's ear. And it would have to be done (laughs) over a period of like months, I think, to cause serious hearing damage. Um, and that just seems very unlikely. I mean, that I mean, you you would you know that American diplomats get their rooms checked for bugs and things like that. So, oh, um, outrageous. Very strange story. Also, very creepy to me because John Bolton is another guy who was obsessed with you know reversing you know Cuba normalizing Cuba yep. relations. He used to say Cuba had a bioweapons program after nine eleven. He was starting to talk about Cuba in really weird ways, kind of like war warry sounding rhetoric. After 9-11. So I have a bad feeling that John Bolton is kind of like the devil on Trump's shoulder right now. Like, My I, God. I mean, that's what's really disturbing to me is I feel like he's got some kind of line into the Trump administration where he's like going past people like John Kelly or maybe talking to Trump on the side without his other advisors knowing it. Um I honestly don't know because there's a lot of there's so just too many mixed messages coming out. But that's kind of where my brain went 
when I read that is like, why is Cuba the news again like this? And this is just right. a, just a bizarre story. So go check it out. It's all it's all over the news. Um, you know, I don't think any audio expert has been able to like actually come up with an explanation of how it could have been done. Um, it just doesn't. It sounds like a fantasy scenario, like something out of like a you know like par- like Cold War paranoia. Um, so oh totally yep and we're gonna see a lot more of that um because cuba is gonna be on the list um there's only a few countries left (laughs) yeah so i mean and with these psychos at the helm um and let's and let's talk about israel we just mentioned how 700 million dollars just went to some missile defense system i guess part of the iron dome project so people who've been following me and this podcast probably know that we did a whole series in palestine Um, I was previously banned from Gaza from the Israeli government. They called me a foreign agent of Iran. This isn't the first time that I've been targeted. Um, When I was at RT during Operation Pillar of Cloud in 2012, um, they bombed deliberately a journalist tower called the Al-Sharok Journalist Tower in Gaza City. A colleague of mine's leg was blown off, and they said that it was a target not only because Hamas was there, Um, but because RT had taken a side in the conflict. Um, And that was when I was, you know, aggressively covering the atrocities that were going on every day. So we were really alarmed. We were like, wow, Israel, like, literally admitted that they knew journalists were in the building, they targeted it, and it was because RT had taken a side in the conflict. Wow. So fast forward to, um, you know, our our, our Palestine series and being banned from Gaza and kind of going through iterations of the Zionist Hasbara operations against me and my work. You know, labeling me as an anti-Semite, that's, of course, the most obvious deflection. They'll call Holocaust survivors anti-Semites. Um, that, that's literally the only thing that they can levy at people who are criticizing apartheid and occupation. So most recently, um, I went on Joe Rogan's show, and, and it's one of the biggest podcasts in the world. Um, I, I talked about Palestine for about 15 minutes on the podcast, and, and it was a huge deal because these views simply are not given that sort of airtime or audience ever um and so of course uh, it went totally viral someone picked it up put it on facebook it has almost two million views on there alone it's been uploaded multiple times on on other platforms and so i was expecting backlash um but it was very interesting nonetheless to see the campaign that that came against me from this video robbie because of the fact that it is directly connected to the israeli government um usually it's not that obvious <laughs> Um, but this group stand with us that that called me an anti-Semite multiple times was promoting this video created by this other group called Israel Advocacy Group, um, just trying to say that I was lying, trying to say that, you know, the woman that I talked to that was shot wasn't really shot because there's no records of her being shot, like very weird, obviously false things that they were trying to debunk that I said. Another thing that they tried to debunk was that I said it's illegal to hold a flag or to hold a political rally or to be in a political party because the entire West Bank is under Israeli military law. Um, you can corroborate this within five seconds on Amnesty International in a great article that they wrote earlier this year. So they were trying to do things like that, like say like, oh, well, what's this photo of a Palestinian holding a flag then? Like super dumb, right? Um, but then I found out that Stand With Us has a direct contract with the Israeli government um, to quote, strengthen Israeli Hasbro on social media platforms and quote, in interactive media war rooms where they train students to um, correct the record, essentially. 
um, to call out anti-Semitism online. So the hundreds, if not thousands of trolls who attacked me also attacked Joe Rogan with um, similar, if not identical, like they just plugged in their name, you know, these robotic electronic things that this harassment campaign against Joe Rogan to tell him not to have me on again, to tell well, him that he needs to have on a Zionist. Well, specifically, let's let's hone in on that that specific thing just so people yeah. understand what you mean can i should i not mention the guy's name that i looked up and just describe like what the scenario was no you can mention his name okay so one of the emails that um was being blasted to joe rogan i mean in one of them i think i only saw the one um and when i first saw it it looked like exactly like a, a form letter like a chain letter it wasn't signed by anybody it said like like best comma nobody's name at the end um, but after looking up the email address from the sender, it's a legit, like published Israeli doctor, um, who's in the United States. Um, so that was fascinating to me because it implied that this wasn't just like some kind of mass mail send out, um, even though it really was in a way, but a bunch of real people must have donated their real name, like email addresses to it. But it also must have been some kind of like like um, mailing list that went out. Otherwise, oh, why course. didn't each one of these people just sign their name at the end with the form letter? Yeah, of course. Um, so that to me means it was a mass mail sent out, but it was allowed to be done with real email addresses as some kind of using some kind of algorithm or applet that that allows you to do that. Um, but what you just mentioned is really interesting about how they have training courses for like students in Israel on how to correct like you know, anti-Israeli propaganda, they'll call it, or, you know, or anti-Semitic, like to go online and argue with people. To me, that's a whole new fascinating form of propaganda because it's like almost like you're trying to crowdsource government mm -hmm. propaganda. Right. On purpose. You know, instead of just like trickling it down from the media, you're literally trying to like train foot soldiers to pretend they're regular people, even though they've specifically been trained to do a very specific thing which is to pr literally propagandize people as if they're just regular people who are voicing their opinion. Um, Isn't that amazing? It's, it's very fascinating. Yeah, no, it's, it's insane. I'm glad that you looked up um, a little bit, dug in a little bit more to the email campaign. It was an obviously contrived mass mailing, encouraging people to just plug in their information and or the algorithm. Yeah. Um, and then it also bled over to social media where I, you know, just hundreds and hundreds of these people just posting the same video, um, posting the exact same thing. Um, because again, they have hundreds of these people. That's, that's what they do. It's like a full-time job. We, we talk all the time about Russian troll factories and stuff. This is a literal troll factory and it's, and they boast about it. They think yeah, it's but, a good thing. <laughs> yeah. They, this, this is from their Wikipedia page of, of stand with us. They have an annual budget of over $9 million. I mean, that's, so compare that to how much they're claiming that like Russia spent on ads Right. To like promote shit. It's like a drop in the bucket compared to this. And this isn't even like the, and this is also a drop in the bucket compared to the amount of money the Israeli government spends on total on like propaganda. Right. So you have to take that into account too. Like to think that an organization like this has $9 million to play around with to like counter sometimes like obscure things. So that's what's interesting to me. I think what's happening, I mean, I just, my theory is that like, they know that certain things, even if they don't like 
even if it's like just a clip from the Joe Rogan show, if it's effective enough at like proving something really fucked up about Israel, like they'll go after it and, you know, try to destroy it. And you can look them up on Wikipedia. They've even gone over after obscure things that I didn't even really know like existed, like uh, protests. They did. um, They there was actually like some kind of backlash against the Caterpillar company for the Israeli government using their bulldozers to demolish Palestinian homes and stand with us. It says on Wikipedia, they, the members spoke out against the um, resolution at a Caterpillar shareholders meeting. Um, And it says, while the organization urged its supporters to buy stock in Caterpillar and other firms that do business with Israel. So they like tried to like get people to like buy more stock in the company when there was like a, (laughs) a boycott happening again in 2005. So this company's, I mean, this organization has been around for a while. It also says they collaborated with the Jerusalem Post, which is a pretty big organization. They began publishing a monthly newspaper together called the Campus Post to be distributed to combat anti-Israeli propaganda, again, in their words, to universities around around the United States, Um, you know, a free paper. Um, And uh, they just- Wow, around the United States. Yeah. Yep. Damn. Yep. So wow. I think I think what you've done is basically you're what you're doing must be effective. And Absolutely. so just like it's effective that a lot of students on universities, once they learn about the conditions that Palestinians are under in Israel, they probably would be like, what the fuck? Like, this is a fucking apartheid state. You know, I mean, there's definitely not that's there's not as many students waking it up to that as there should be. But like. I mean, they know that there's that's a growing sentiment, even and if that's it's slowly why they've, growing. They've already tried to criminalize BDS uh, at college campuses, Cuomo in New York. There's there's like premeditated anti BDS legislation that criminalizes this this stuff. Um, and you know, after this harassment campaign started, I remembered that we have a bunch of Israelis speaking too, like on camera. And um, Mike and I, producer for Empire Files, went, dug through the footage, and we were just appalled. I mean, I don't know if it just didn't stick with me at the time because I was so overwhelmed with the horrors that I was seeing in the West Bank. Um, But I remember, like, a lot of them were really genocidal. And looking through these interviews, we were stunned um, because it really just did validate everything that we've been saying, which is, you know, there's no hope from within Israeli society to change, just like there was no hope from within white South Africa and the apartheid state to change. There has to be external pressures to force that change. Um, and, and you can see it for yourselves. We went to Jerusalem. Um, we spoke to a wide variety of people, um, young, old, secular, religious, college students, American transplants, Israeli-born, and... Of course, not all of them are genocidal, but all of them pretty much support at the very basis the occupation. Um, and if they think that there should be a two-state solution, it's it's kind of a farce. It's kind of this liberal language that a lot of people use because they know that there is no state to be had. Palestine, it, there is no state. Gaza is a strip. The West Bank's littered with just dots that have already been taken over by settlements. And then there's Jerusalem, which is like an international city. That's, you know, still like has military people all over their version of the state would be basically whatever Israel deems the state and with like no military or anything. And the border has already been totally destroyed. So you you hear this language. But what we realized with a lot of these Israelis that we were talking to is a lot of them were just completely openly genocidal. 
And the rhetoric is so disturbing for many reasons. Uh, of course, it's disturbing to hear someone say carpet bomb Arabs, kill them all. They're all terrorists. You can't trust any of them. But what I found really interesting is that they're, they're talking to an American media person. They know that I'm an American journalist and I'm filming them. And this is what they're comfortable looking into the camera and saying. I don't even think if you went to like a Trump rally, would you get anyone on camera saying kill all black people, kill all Muslim? Like no one. I just feel like the level of like genocidal rhetoric is so mainstreamed and comfortable um, that that I mean, that that's what it has to be, that they're that comfortable with like being that genocidal. Um, and you can see it in polls that are reflected in the, in the exact same way that and, and a lot of the leftists and liberal Zionists, um, you know, have have left. I mean, I talked to one who's an anti-Zionist Israeli Jewish guy named Ronnie Barkin, who's few and far between. But he he kind of leads you through the episode talking about the indoctrination from a very early age, um, basically from kindergarten. They they try to hammer in that militarism and, you know. And this kind of genocidal mentality and also the forced segregation from Palestinians. So sorry to go off on a really long rant, but 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 basically I'm just trying to tell everyone to watch this episode because this is what Israel does not want to come out. They want to paint these kind of views as extremist, as people who are only religious extremists, as people who are only settlers, right? Even though we know that they also protect them, but that's not the case at all. Um, and it's very disturbing and it just goes in line with with the BDS movement and how important that is because these are Palestinians who are telling us the tools that we can use to help them. What did you think about the video? Oh, I thought it was amazing. I mean, it it was it was disturbing to watch because a lot of the people you were interviewing were young more more young people seemed like right. had this attitude um and that was, you know, I could I wouldn't have been as surprised if it was like older, you know, Israelis with this attitude, more conservative ones, but it, they didn't seem like, you know, they were unsophisticated or anything. It was, it, it it's, was really disturbing to see how casual um, these people were saying these things and also just like how, and like, like they seem like smart people. Like, yeah. I mean, they didn't seem like idiots. So I was struck by, just the casual nature of how just matter of fact they were about like why we should do this. Um, you know, maybe I said they weren't idiots except for those like two girls who you interviewed. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was, I thought it was extremely revealing. Um, and it's very sad because I don't see how that mentality is going to get like, you know, change over time. Um, how they'll start seeing like Palestinians as human beings. Um, you know, I mean, one guy literally said he wants them to move to their own country just so that if they throw one rocket over, we can throw one big bomb back and take care of them like what, at right. just all at the same time. Mm -hmm. Like at first I was like, oh, he wants a Palestinian state. And I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> like it was it was crazy. Like you could see the mentality. The mentality is so insane to me saying 4000 years ago or whatever. Arabs kicked my great, 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 great grandfather out of this area. And so it's some divine justice that my, that now 4,000 years later, I'm kicking them out. Like that's what multiple people said. Um, and I found that really weird because it's like, that, we're not even talking about like Native Americans coming and like ejecting all of us from our homes. Like that would actually make more sense. We're talking about like nomadic tribes that existed 4,000 years ago. 
So that's the logic here. That's the logic. Um, and I don't understand it. I mean, I do understand it. It's really that that's how Israel thrives and is able to exist. But it's time. It's due past time that we kind of expose the society for what it truly is. And um, and videos like these just simply don't get out there. These are censored from mainstream reality about about what Israel is, obviously, um, for many reasons. So um, it was super interesting. And even the people who weren't openly genocidal were just like very comfortable with the fact that there's an occupation um, and just didn't really feel bad about it. Yeah. Speaking of Israel, I just watched like the most cringeworthy. Um, <laughs> I mean, sorry to completely like sidetrack from what you're saying. Say something really trivial, but Gal Gadot um, of Wonder Woman. I just saw her do like a behind the scenes for oh, Justice God. League. And it was like another like blatant product placement thing where he's like talking how cool the Mercedes was and stuff like in the movie and like Ben Affleck talking about the Mercedes and like I still even though I liked Wonder Woman like it was still a travesty that they made everybody in Themyscira. I don't know if I even mentioned this before on the podcast but in the Wonder Woman universe in the DC comics like she comes from like almost like a mythical Greek like fan like island kind of place where the people are supposed to have almost like Greek accents or whatever. Um, and they they say in the behind the scenes of making Wonder Woman that they made everybody on the island speak in an Israeli accent to match Gal Gadot's Israeli accent. Nice. Um, so now all of Themyscira is Israeli. Um, yeah. But Hamas, Robbie, but Hamas. Every time that um, Israel just massacres like 500 children, Natalie Portman and Seth Rogen and all of them, they're just like, I wish Hamas would stop. Why can't Hamas stop doing this? It's like, whoa, I had no idea that Hamas was actually killing all these children and pretending that it was Israel. That is fucking crazy. Yeah, your previous work for the Empire Files on Palestine was... Um, really, really informative, and also very depress uh, depressing. Just, <laughs> um, just you know, I mean, it was the best thing I had seen on Israel and Palestine since the Louis Theroux um, extreme Zionists uh, episode of uh, I think it was on BBC, where he just he just speaks to all the Israeli settlers he can find, including like a guy who sets up like a tent like a teenage guy, like Israeli set, like Zionist guy who sets a tent up like near a Palestinian family's home and all this shit. Um, and, uh, be, I mean, it's honestly you, your thing and his thing are like the best things on Israel I've ever seen. Um, and his, his was excellent. Everyone needs to watch that, um, the Louis through special, but even his was just kind of, and, and, and I'm not trying to knock it at all, but really, and, and I didn't even know until you really go to Jerusalem and talk to these people, but you, you honestly kind of take away thinking, oh, these settlers are really insane, <clears throat> you know? Yeah. And I didn't really realize like how mainstream those views really are um, throughout just Israeli society, just normal people. Totally. Because obviously yeah. the settlers, you have to be completely out of your goddamn mind to move from bumfuck Nebraska on top of an Arab village in Palestine. Like you have to be fucking insane. Um, a special kind of insane. So, so that, I mean, obviously those people are going to be like much more extreme in their views. So, but it is horrifying to see how similar these sentiments are. Yeah. It's really nuts. Well, um, is there anything else you wanted to go over? No, I think we pretty much covered everything. Cool. I mean, other than, I guess, you know, there's just a little bit more, more signs that the neocon, 
you know, the, the, the actual hardcore neocons in D.C., you know, the ones that are all about war are converging with the Trump administration, um, the Institute for the Study of War, the think tank run by Fred and Kim Kagan, um, is they just hosted a uh, an annual convention where they had um, uh, McMaster as a as a featured speaker, and they had a very friendly panel with them. And this seems like the rhetoric, you know, it's the Institute for the Study of War um, is, you know, they have to be feeding the Trump administration some kind of information. I mean, there's no that I guess what I'm trying to say is the orientation towards the Trump administration by the neocons, especially from the Institute for the Study of War, doesn't seem to be unfriendly. And um, watching, you know, or actually, I didn't see any video because there was none. There had no video of the convention. They said it was at a secret location, but just like all these things, and this is probably something obvious to most people who've listened to our podcast, but some of these think tank talks, there's no video record. There's no transcript record of them. They merely just invite a small pool of like loyal, like neocon apologist reporters to come to their secret event and then just like report on it and filter it through their filter. And that's what happened in this instance where some of the stuff coming out was kind of saying that, you know, Trump is, you know, is, is more thoughtful than, you know, that some of the neocons make him out to be like, he really does believe in like American, you know, the strength of America and wants to like, I mean, it was, it was interesting to see what some of these reporters were saying about it. Um, and also scary because, you know, at the very least, maybe some of the neocons not working with Trump um, out of some kind of bizarre virtue signaling or principles they claim they have would have been a good thing. But I think that's already over. I mean, we already can see that that, you know, that phony dance is already like pretty much finished. Um, And also Brookings Institution, um, which is the think tank ran by Strobe Talbot, um, you know, huge Russiagate guy. Uh, What? Who just hired Chipmunk Faceboy. Yeah. So... So Jamie Kirchick is now, he puts that as his think tank credit instead of foreign policy initiative. Sweet. Foreign, foreign policy initiative is pretty much toast at this point in case you um, haven't been paying attention, although they well, haven't formally closed. What's funny is like for some reason I thought Brookings was like a neoliberal. It is. Isn't that but, funny? Well, it's not. Well, here's, this is the not funny part <laughs> is that look what's happened over the past two years. The neocons have joined some of them. Most of them actually have joined forces with the neoliberals and right. the, and some of these more war hawkish Democrats. I mean that the early signs were all there when when Robert Kagan was talking about liking Hillary and stuff. Um, so yeah, I mean Brookings now I think represents just like the well actually I think Brookings more specifically represents a strong convergence between neoconservative and neoliberal ideology, um, especially right now. Council on Foreign Relations, I would say, is almost like less hawkish, um, you know, than than uh, Brookings. Wow. But, but yeah, they did a talk at Brookings about a week before RT was designated as a foreign agent about how the U.S. government should designate RT and Russian media like Sputnik as foreign agents. So that's an unusual lining lining up of the timing to see a think tank especially right now saying something very specific that we should do. And then like an administration adopting it right after Um, that's unusual. And it also kind of goes against what people think about Trump, that Trump is going against this sort of neoliberal consensus and everything. But 
they designated as a foreign agent during the Trump administration. So that's noteworthy because I don't even think that would have happened in the Obama administration. If he had another term, I honestly don't think we'd already be there. That's, But I mean, I could be wrong, but that's my feeling on it. Unbelievable. Oh, and I just, oh no, another thing worth mentioning is um, apparently we're in Niger doing a bunch of military operations. Um, I, I saw that. We didn't even get a chance to go into that. Yeah, we'll have to get into that. I don't even know like I, what happened. I just saw it. Um, so that's great. Yeah. So, and also that, that um, Jamel, that woman from ESPN, had the Trump administration actually like tried to get her fired. And then ESPN tried to hire just the like her black co-host um, to just replace her with like another black woman who denied the position. And then they just tried to get the next two black people like in line to replace both of them. And then oh they God. all protested it. Yeah. Like all of ESPN, like all African-Americans there were just like, nope. So basically so that's Trump, how much they were complying with Trump's request. Trump probably tunes out all the other like negative media coverage about him, like on MSNBC and CNN. Of course. And he probably still watches ESPN and was extremely pissed off that like anything would come out on that channel that would be like remotely negative towards him. Yep. And he just like t- is super butthurt. I mean, even like Colin Cap. We didn't even talk about that. Like oh that my was God. as much as as oh, the media blew that up. That was ridiculous. That he just his body language and he was strutting around on that stage. Then the video where he originally called Kaepernick a son of a bitch yeah. is just really creepy and honestly like Mussolini like body language. That yep. his his chin up, him walking back and forth, like like acting like he was at some kind of stand up comedy show, like putting his hands up in the air. It's really disturbing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and he and he caught like he caused a total backlash. Everyone's like, oh man, the there's such a backlash against the NFL right now. I, I don't. I mean, I think it's way more a big deal that the NFL players themselves are all like doing what Kaepernick did, right? And a bunch of them are doing like that's gonna be that's gonna be huge. For years oh my to God. come. Yeah, exactly. So he fucking Especially since you backlash. know he just watches sports and shit. He's probably so pissed. Yeah. That's probably that's why he that's why he couldn't stop talking about it. That's why he didn't talk about the hurricane for a week. He was obsessed. That's the last thing that he wants is is now athletes to turn against him. It's yeah, great. it's so bizarre because this is a guy who literally p- probably paid hundreds of thousands of dollars for Shaquille O'Neal's shoe that he was wearing when he like won one of the NBA finals or playing for the Lakers. Um, so yeah, you can imagine it's almost like he's, he, it's like, it's like projective identification. The more he does shit like, and complains about things like the more they actually like come true and like make, <laughs> uh, make his life worse. Like, I feel like by the end of his presidency, he's going to like get in like a public like fight with like Shaquille O'Neal on Twitter or something. Like that's how dumb I feel like that's how retarded this president is. But I mean, that's oh that would be one of the more positive things that could happen, you know, compared to the, all the worse outcomes that he could do by starting Twitter fights. So, <laughs> anyways, it's yeah. so crazy. Um, well, we're gonna have to pick up where, again, right? <laughs> you know, I'm sure there's a multitude of things that he's gonna do to destroy the entire planet, um, in the next couple of weeks. So we'll be on top of it. Great talking to you, and um, everyone, l- let us know what you think on soundcloud itunes and also our patreon please donate yeah we're still trying to reach our 500 dollars per creation goal and we promise promise you that 
once we do, we will have more episodes out more frequently. And uh, while Abby's busy working on Empire Files, some of those might be me solo episodes, but we will still have them. Our goal is to have them come out once a week. Um, and we really would like to get to that point. Um, your help is very much appreciated. And thank you very much for listening. Thanks so much, everyone. Peace.